Hi, I'm your host, Susan Nay. Welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out. It's a series designed to help you demystify HR and the human resource processes. We're going to talk about people management and get the goods on and see how all this stuff works. You're going to hear from everyday heroes and get their perspectives as we touch on a wide variety of topics, topics that impact us in our work and in our work environments. You'll find nuggets for your treasure chest of learning. Hopefully you'll discover insights for your personal and your professional growth. I'm glad you're here. I suspect it's because you want to be the very best version of yourself, your personal best, and that you get understanding these systems and processes will help you on your journey, on your path. You ready to dare to soar? Want to join me at flight school? Let's do this. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out, demystifying HR and people management. I'm your host, Susan Nay. Labor Relations 101. The other day I got asked a question by someone who's new to working in a people oversight role in a unionized environment. The question, what is a grievance? As the podcast is all about demystifying this HR stuff, I thought, hey, maybe a podcast to provide an overview of this area of HR might be helpful to you. So here goes. We're gonna start at the very beginning. The fact that you're working with employees covered by union certification, what does that mean? So employees covered by union have at some point in the past decided they wish collective representation as opposed to individual representation. In doing so, they've gone out and they've selected a union that they wanted to be represented by. That union then undertakes a campaign to sign up enough individuals. This enough number varies as do the processes and all of this would be covered under the relevant labor legislation for um, the province or federally uh, talking about Canadian law uh, typically a labor code assuming the certification bid is successful once certified the employer and the union typically negotiate through the collective bargaining process the terms and conditions of employment in what becomes known as the collective agreement It contains all the areas that have been agreed to by both parties, the union on behalf of their members, your employees, and the employer on behalf of the governing body, which could be a council, a board, or perhaps even the the owners of the company. Anything not covered by the provisions of the collective agreement remain the right of management within reason. Now, We're going to get into arbitrators, which is the end part of the grievance process if the parties can't get resolution. And there are some arbitrators over the years who, through their awards, have strayed from this rather black and white statement that I've just made. And certainly the unions don't necessarily agree that everything else that's not covered in the collector agreement is is management's terrain. But it is typically treated as such by arbitrators. And I will get to what is an arbitrator. When the parties and most typically the union, feel that a provision of the collective agreement has been violated, they may file what's called a grievance. The process that the parties go through, it's written into the terms of the collective agreement. It's part of the language that the parties would negotiate. And by the way, if the parties forgot to do this, they're deemed to have some sort of dispute process 
again, per that labor code. This same body of legislation that provides the rules around union certifications, contains these laws around dispute resolution mechanisms, but it also contains language around what arbitrator powers or arbitral powers are. That's just several examples. Yes, I haven't forgotten about the arbitrator. I'm getting there. And just so that you don't get further confused, I am referring to rights arbitration, which is dealing with grievances, not interest arbitration, which you may hear of in the news, which is how essential service workers like firefighters get their collective agreements resolved if they're not able to do so without assistance. So these grievances, otherwise known as alleged violations of the provisions of the collective agreement, and can potentially end up in arbitration, where a hired third party, this arbitrator, hears both sides and decides the matter for them. And again, hopefully we don't ever have to get there because most grievance processes start with the parties attempting to resolve the dispute without getting into any formal process. It's often called step one of the process and it's typically a verbal stage. As an easy example, let's say I believe I'm entitled to have received a boot allowance, but I noticed that I didn't get it on my paycheck. Now, it's hoped that I'll just speak with my supervisor about this to get it resolved. But some employees feel more comfortable going directly to the union steward on such matters. So the union steward would then raise that matter with my supervisor. Now, often the language is quite clear and as a result of my job responsibilities, I don't have to wear boots to work and therefore am not entitled to the boot allowance. And so it would be resolved quite quickly or the alternative that I was entitled and the pay adjustment would then be taken care of without further fuss. Say for this example, that I'm actually employed as an office assistant. And I just feel I should get a boot allowance because I wear boots to work and hey, why not? Especially if the language is not clear that the allowance is only for individuals working in areas that require them by the nature of their work. Now, the union would typically explain to me just that. And the union actually owns the grievance. The employee doesn't own the grievance. So that would be the end of it. Or the union may say, hey, you're right, Susan, the language doesn't say that. Let's take this further. All employees who wish to wear boots to work might be able to get that allowance. Now, in this case, the matter really does go beyond the supervisor. And so it would be taken to the next step in the process. Now I'm gonna interject here. It would not have been okay for the supervisor to have been a nice person and say, sure, Susan, you're right. You like to wear boots to work. So I'm gonna pay you that allowance. That supervisor should always check with someone who knows how the language is supposed to be applied. Otherwise, they could be creating a practice or a precedent that others could also use to demand the same. And they could create unintended ripples and costs across the organization. This really undermines what was intended when the language was negotiated by the parties. If the language wasn't clear, HR would review past bargaining notes for what the parties had intended with the addition of the language to the collective agreement. And they'd also look at the practice of the party since the language was added to the contract. 
it would be on that basis that the manager would be told, no, the provision was only for the select occupations. It was not meant to be um, available for others. Now, in some organizations, the steward might hand the grievance at this stage over to a chief steward and the supervisor to the manager. And these would be the parties that would represent um, or would represent the issue um, at step two. Who attends at the different stages of the grievance is also something that's typically written out in the collective agreement language. So say the union decided, no, we're gonna take this further. Then it would typically go to the next step in the process, step three. And perhaps it would be a meeting between HR and the union president at this point. Now, if it wasn't resolved here, the union might file the grievance to, you guessed it, a process called arbitration. Now, as I've noted earlier, an arbitrator is an independent third party. This person is chosen jointly by both parties and the individual is paid to hear the submissions, often including many witnesses from both sides. And they will then make a determination regarding the issue that's in front of them. So an arbitrator will tell the parties what the arbitrator felt was intended without having actually sat through the discussions of bargaining or necessarily really even knowing the industry you're in and provide a binding award. Some arbitrators encourage the parties agree to a mediation process in the hope of being able to help the parties find a resolution themselves before actually hearing the issue and making that determination, that binding award. Because where that doesn't happen, the parties are gonna to need to live with the resolve until one or the other is successful at, through contract negotiations, negotiations that typically only occur every several years, a change to that language or the contract provision. It's not just contract language that goes through these processes. Uh, in the case of discipline being grieved, the arbitrator will determine whether it had been sufficient due process and whether the discipline that had been imposed was too severe in the circumstances. I'll tell you a little bit more about other types of grievances because there are actually several types. Now, most common are those filed on behalf of the individuals, like the example that I just walked you through. But both the union and the employer can also file what's called policy grievances. Now, these are usually when the other party is alleging the language is being violated in general, like not just with one individual. Now, as an example, when I worked at the British Columbia Institute of Technology, the contract said that parking was free. A change in legislation mandated that now the employer had to charge GST, I think it was, it was a while ago. And the employer didn't have any option. So the union filed a policy grievance because parking was no longer free. And again, it was a while ago, but I recollect that the arbitrator did not support their grievance. And in this case ruled in favor of the employer. Now there's also group grievances. Now these are typically filed by the union when there's more than one individual uh, impacted by the employer's application of the contract provision. Unions sometimes file grievances and take them through the stages up to arbitration for fear of what's called, and again, I'm looking at the labor code, it's called a section 12, it's section 12 of our labor code in BC. And they're concerned about a section 12 being filed against them. 
Now, the union has the right to make decisions on behalf of the members, as long as those decisions are not made in bad faith or arbitrary or discriminatory. And an individual who feels that uh, one of those has, has happened um, can file their complaint with the labor board. Now, these are rarely successful, but they take a great deal of time and resources from both the union and from the employer. Now, as an example, perhaps an employee is fired. The union knows that the employer has done its due diligence, uh, followed the progressive disciplinary process, and given the employer every opportunity to correct their behavior, and so decides not to take the grievance to arbitration. The employer files a section 12. See, if the board found for the employee, the union would likely be directed to pursue the grievance to arbitration. Now, from the employer's perspective, there would then be the possibility that the employee might be reinstated. And of course, there, then be, there would be also the cost of the arbitration. Now, as such, the employer is often what they term an interested party in the hearings and supports that both the union and the employer, in this case, truly worked with the employee to attempt to correct their behavior. This is the way at times that the parties really do uh, quite obviously work together. Back to grievances. Employers tend to receive more of them as bargaining approaches. It's often a way of knowing that what the issues that are going to be of key importance to the union in the coming round and are sometimes used as leverage to bargain provisions. As an example, we'll drop the grievance if you agree to whatever. They're also a pulse of how things are going on in our work environments. When volumes of grievances start to be received out of a particular area, it's often an indication that something's amiss. And there are other areas that just tend to be more grievance prone. As an example, when scheduling of shifts is done by seniority, there are often grievances regarding people feeling that their seniority rights have been violated. And sometimes grievances are filed by unions in support of a larger mandate that they're called upon to support. When the lifting of the retirement, mandatory retirement at age 65 occurred a number of years back, many of the benefits carriers had not altered their offerings. And so employers were not able to actually offer benefits beyond age 65. And there were grievances filed across the province. Sometimes these processes are coordinated by larger union support groups. The Federation of Post-Secondary Educators is one of those representing people in the post-secondary system in British Columbia. And in their um, little um, write-up on the web, uh, they say our collective action and solidarity is our greatest strength, leading to better outcomes for all members. Now, this collective action also happens on behalf of employers. Uh, some things are governed by larger provincial or federal organizations and still going with the post-secondary sector like the uh, PSEA and, and PSERC, um, PSEA, I guess, in particular. Uh, and I'm just thinking of an example like the retirement one. PSEA would represent the employer who'd received the grievance and would monitor how that was uh, represented uh, because the, the outcome would impact more than just one of their members. And that way, all of us who belong to PSEA um, 
felt at least somewhat protected by the ripple effects of grievances that we may not know about, but could be impacted by. This takes me back to arbitrations. See, when an arbitrator rules on language or on a matter where language is common to that found in other employers' collective agreements, like those of the post-secondary organizations, that decision could indeed impact those other organizations. Arbitral jurisprudence or case law um, is, is what comes as a result of these arbitral processes. Now we all look to our corporate lawyers or union lawyers to keep us informed of what we term as precedent setting cases. And cases like how use uh, William Scott decision years ago continues to inform what an arbitrator looks at when dealing with disciplinary matters. So it's all stuff that we, we have to uh, keep attentive to. So grievances are methods of communication when used uh, appropriately. Uh, they're an opportunity for the parties to the collective agreement to engage in dialogue around the application of that language or organizational decisions that um, they or the members that unions represent or in a policy grievance, um, um, the, the company filing on behalf of, of their uh, governing body disagree with. Timeframes are outlined in the language regarding how much time each side has to respond to the others. And of course, timeframes can often be extended by mutual agreement. So if you're engaged in a grievance process and you're being asked to um, respond quickly to a, a query of you, uh, that's the reason why. And as I'd mentioned before, working outside the provisions of the collective agreement can create practice that may work for one area, but could be devastating for another area. And that works for both the union and for, for management in how that language is being um, actually practiced. And that's why it's best to check with the parties. Um, and of course, as this is about HR, my encouragement is to check with HR. HR can often find a workaround um, when there's something that comes up. Um, as I shared, collective agreements are negotiated usually over several years. Our organizations <clears throat> change quickly. And so there's mechanisms like negotiation of letters of understanding or letters of intent or agreement that HR can sit down with the union and agree to provisions for these in-between bargaining matters that arise. So there, there is a forum that's available to the parties um, outside of, of more formal contract negotiations. Complicated? It can be. So it is with appreciation to my colleague for her question of me. And we forget that when something's in our own specialization area, it's so easy to um, not remember that the stuff that we live and breathe is quite foreign or can be quite foreign to others. We ramble on and assume that everyone knows what we're talking about and what acronyms we're using, what they mean. So a reminder, if you're an HR practitioner, what is a grievance? And if you oversee people in a unionized environment, don't be shy to ask those important questions so you too can follow along and truly understand what's going on. I hope this helped. If there's a topic you'd like me to explore on the podcast, drop me a line, susangina at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for joining me today. Remember, dare to soar. I believe you can. Until next time, have a great day. Susan signing out. Well, we've reached our destination for today. 
time to lower those wheels and prepare for landing. Thank you for joining me. If I said something that resonated with you, please subscribe to the podcast and to share it with others. It would be awesome if you also took the time to provide a review, whatever your favorite social media sites are. If you have a question or an area that you hope I'll cover in a future session, please send me a note either to my website, www.effectingchangefromwithin.com or to my email, susangenay at gmail.com. I look forward to our next time together. In the meantime, soar high. I believe you can. Susan signing off. Thanks again for joining me.